So welcome to everybody who has already joined today's episode of Southeast Asia Connect. We just went live and are waiting for a few more attendees to make the way from clicking the link to opening their Zoom. We have fantastic guests and an even greater topic today, impact investing in Southeast Asia, old heroes with new labels. And uh, as everybody you... who has already joined today's episode of South. So um, we have fantastic guests for everybody who's joined already. If you have questions, please put them in the Q&A section, not the chat um, function, but use the Q&A section. So we'll have at least 20 minutes for your questions at the end of the webinar with our fantastic guests. So let's kick things off and welcome to Southeast Asia Connect episode seven today. This webcast and podcast series is for founders and investors of Southeast Asian startups, connecting the Southeast Asian ecosystem to the world. And this, this series is brought to you by Northridge Partners and Precious Communications. Together, we've worked with hundreds of startups and investors and players of the ecosystem to make dreams happen um, and uh, yeah, bring them to life. So my name is Lars Frudisch. I'm the founder of Precious Communications. We help startups tell their stories. Um, and uh, we've worked, uh, yeah, with I think 300 startups uh, somewhere around there. Nothing to what Paul later will talk about. But uh, let me introduce my partner in crime, Chris. Hey, hey, Lars. And I'm simply delighted to be here today. Chris Tran, head of Northridge Partners, Southeast Asia. And this is where we work with our Southeast Asian entrepreneurs to raise capital, grow their businesses and exit. On to today's topic, impact investing, old heroes with new labels, question mark. At Southeast Asia Connect, over the last previous six episodes, we've really resonated a key theme. And that, of course, has been the acceleration of digital transformation due to the last six or so months or seven, eight of COVID-19. In this episode, we highlight perhaps another shift. Despite a universally horrific 2020, what we have seen this year is a spotlight on inequality at all levels, a greater consciousness of impact across all demographics, and the capital, a greater accessibility of capital to founders of impact businesses. And so could 2020 actually be an inflection point for impact investment in Southeast Asia? What we are seeing is the millennials move into their 30s and 40s and getting into decision-making roles. For Southeast Asia in particular, these millennials make up a big portion of the population. On the topic of impact investing, impact investing is not about just doing no harm. Rather, it is the proactive investment to make impact and drive positive change. Impact investment activity by the numbers. Southeast Asia has increased over time we had 900 million deployed through 223 deals by private impact investors, but a whopping 11.3 billion deployed through 289 deals 
by development finance institutions. This was over the last decade. In this webinar, we're lucky to have two industry experts. We will explore impact investing versus ESG. Let's get to understand the definitions and the differences and get clear. We talk about the challenges and opportunities of impact investing in Southeast Asia. And we look at the outlook for continued positive societal change in Southeast Asia. Forget the money. We're very lucky to have Shuyin, a fellow Australian and Sydney cider, but now residing in Vietnam, who's responsible for Patama's investing activities in the Mekong, Cambodia, Laos, Vietnam, and Myanmar. She's led investments into education, fintech, employee benefits, and healthcare. Spearheading Patama's gender lens investing efforts. She has been managing one of the first gender lens investment funds in Southeast Asia, being the Investing in Women's Fund. Welcome, Sheehan. And then build the dream. Paul has raised tens of millions of dollars in venture funding from private and institutional investors. He is connected to founders, investors, and accelerators across the region from having spent the last 25 years here. Most recently, he was an advisor to ADB Ventures and also worked with Telstra, the Australian telco, popular early stage accelerator program, Muradi in Asia. Paul, of course, has exited his own companies and has worked with hundreds of founders during his career. So Paul provides a very well-rounded experience as a founder himself and advising so many of them. Lars, today's poll. So let's look into today's poll and I hope everybody can participate here. So what is impact investing? Impact investing is really the real deal. It's mainly a marketing label or a fluffy bunch of crap in a can. So please, uh, let's see what comes out. Chris, what's your take? It's somewhere in the middle? It's the real deal. It's the real deal. I'm sure, Paul, Paul it has to be the real deal, right? Real deal. Sheen? Real deal. Real deal. Okay, let's close the poll and have a look. It is the real deal. Fantastic. But we still have about one quarter that says, yeah, nice sticker, gets me some investors. Let's look into that a little bit further. Chris, you want to kick it off and, uh, you know, really grilling Paul about it? Absolutely. So welcome, Paul. And Paul and Sheehan, today our job is to turn the 24% that say it's mainly a marketing label and the 7% that make, mainly says it's a fluffy bunch of crap over to the real deal side. So let's get into the challenge. I'll kick off with Paul in terms of why impact investing with a little bit of a dive into, Paul, you've been a serial entrepreneur, you've been in Asia, we've talked about your background already, but for those of you, uh, uh, them in the audience um, that haven't met you, can you talk a little bit about how you actually got into impact investing? And perhaps a good starting point will be some of the work that you did do back when you were advising ADB. Sure. Thanks, Chris. Uh, thanks, thanks for inviting me, uh, Chris and Lars. Really good to be here. Hi, everybody. Uh, 
out in television land. The, uh, uh, I got into impact investing primarily through ADB, Asian Development Bank. Um, for those not familiar with ADB, uh, it, it started in the 60s and its uh, remit was to uh, eliminate poverty in Asia. Um, it's a non nonprofit organization that's uh, funded by uh, uh, other governments uh, in Asia and it covers uh, 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 ranges from Georgia and Armenia on one side all the way out to the Pacific Islands on, on the other side. So a lot of countries, there's uh, 37, I believe, recipient countries now of ADB. So ADB um, uh, brought me in and a, no a number of other people to help set up a team uh, and a program that specifically aimed at uh, setting up a venture fund uh, that would help impact related investments in emerging markets. So what, what does that mean? Really that uh, uh, there, there are a number of needs that need to be met, uh, characterized obviously in the, um, the sustainable development goals from the UN and uh, using those as kind of guideposts, how do uh, solutions, technology solutions find the right markets? Uh, there, was, there was kind of a mismatch so that maybe uh, you'd see uh, uh, technology, uh, successful technology for clean water coming out of someplace like Belgium, but a need for that kind of program maybe in Myanmar. Ordinarily, they wouldn't necessarily be able to match. Uh, uh, there, there, it was asynchronous. There was no way to bring those two things together. So ADB was really trying to find solutions of both in within the emerging markets, how you could help uh, entrepreneurs with solutions to these specific SDG related problems help them bring their solutions up and uh, get funded and visibility, as well as also finding maybe the best solutions from outside of Asia to come to the marketplace where uh, uh, they were necessary and needed. So I was brought in to help help work with them for about 18 months to figure out how to, how to build this fund. Fantastic. And apart from being tapped on the shoulder, I guess, what triggered your interest? I mean, after Muradi, and of course, thanks to you know all the stuff you've done around Asia, um, there are lots of things for you to do. I mean, why not necessarily ADB? Obviously, fantastic name, but mm -hmm. you know, why go into impact? Uh, you know, was it maybe because your kids were getting older and asking you difficult questions? Uh, was there any sort of trigger, if you will? I think it was the uh, accretion of many different things. Uh, certainly, you know, having three kids uh, growing up as teenagers that 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 does make a difference. And you think about the kind of world that they're going to live in, and when you uh, have those conversations around the dining room table. And uh, dad, there's only 17 years left. What are you going to do about it? Uh, you think about it a little bit more that way. But also, I think uh, for many of us, uh, we're just seeing what's going on in the world. You know, there's uh, global warming, there's water pollution, there's food issues, there's, uh, uh, you know, you can name it. And anywhere in the world now you look and you can't really ignore the facts that uh, there are some problems that, that need uh, solutions. And that's on one side. And then the other side is, uh, we're kind of at the point now where we have a tool set, a toolkit to help founders kind of anywhere around the world uh, come up with an idea, a solution to a local problem, get access to money, get access to expertise through incubators and accelerators and different kinds of programs. And there's a pathway now where maybe 5, 10, 12 years ago, there wasn't that pathway. So uh, I kind of came from, from that side, from the accelerator and uh, mentor and EIR side. Uh, and melding these two things together, I thought was a really good good time to be doing it and a good thing for me to be doing. Cool. And later on, we will talk about some of those tools and some of the things that may have changed um, or more on the technical aspects so that sure. uh, we can have our audience sort of, you know, start to really click in. Um, but in terms of timing, can we specifically address maybe 2020? 
uh, you know, in my intro, one of the things that we mentioned was it's quite obvious now, glaringly obvious with the media now that we understand uh, the inequalities across so many different dimensions. The second factor as well is of course, these millennial and their ability to voice, right? But for you, what has been some of the trends that you've seen emerging within the last six months? I mean, how has impact changed right now compared to if you're looking at impact in 2019? Well, I think the obvious the obvious answer to that is around COVID, right? Uh, you know, where, where it may have come from, how how it spread so quickly, uh, what does public health look like in different kinds of marketplaces, um, uh, where where people are getting their food, where people are getting their water, how they're tra traveling, uh, education. These are all uh, part of the sustainable development goal. So we can look at it that way. But also, I think it's just how people live and communicate and congregate and uh, the jury's out exactly where COVID came from, obviously, but how it spread is pretty obvious and, uh, and how different countries deal with it. Um, we, we're, we're all a lot more aware on a global front that we're very in interconnected. And I think that heightened awareness uh, around some of these sustainable development issues. And uh, people are now starting to think, hmm, maybe I don't need to start another coffee delivery or dating site. Maybe I need to be focusing a little bit more on something that means something, right? And so uh, we're seeing a lot more of that and uh, a lot more attention being paid to startups and early stage companies that are focusing on specific problems. Malcolm Gladwell, uh, the prominent North American thinker, uh, talked about how the real rules are changing. And one of the things that he mentioned was if you look at a game of basketball, uh, to improve the performance of the team, you would make sure that the stars really did well. If you looked at the game of soccer to improve the performance of a soccer team, you would make sure that the weakest link, the weakest players elevated their game. And what he was talking about is thanks to the globalization and the connectivity, if we are looking at global results, we're only as good as our weakest link, just like the other sports analogy, for example, rowing. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really smart analogy. I, re I really like that. Um, and, and, and I think that we're starting to see that in investments as well, certainly in the early stage investments that uh, uh, over the past year, year and a half, I traveled throughout Southeast Asia and probably saw close to 500 startups around, around the region in, in all markets. And a lot of them were addressing very specific local problems, whether it's uh, uh, food production or whether it's clean water or uh, uh, electricity and storage and those kinds of issues that, that really impacted them and, and their families and their communities. And so um, from a founder point of view, maybe that, that has shifted and, and they're now looking at how to solve problems that are in their neighborhoods, that are in their communities, and then around investors and the investment strategies are starting to focus around that as well. Fantastic. So we might talk about the ability for founders to actually get the capital to act locally. I've got one last question before I run out of semi-intelligent questions to ask, and that's, of course, can we start to look at clarifying some of the terms and maybe how some of the terms have evolved? So maybe if we can succinctly just touch on the beginnings, which maybe was talking about triple bottom line, to then get into sustainability, to then talk about ESG, SDG, and now this concept of impact of investing. Sure, 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 sure. So I, um, I, I want to say that I got started, I guess, in what the, the genesis, I, I was a customer of uh, one of the first uh, investment funds in the United States called the Calvert Fund, 
uh, in the late 70s. I'm giving my age away here a little bit, but uh, it was really the first one with a social investment and, uh, agenda in the United States. And, uh, and then there was a large gap uh, in, until I started paying attention again a couple decades later. But that was really the first, the first investment vehicle that focused on those kinds of things. I think really what we've been seeing maybe in the past 15, 20 years has been, uh, everybody knows ESG, which is environmental, social, and go government governance, okay, which uh, kind of focused primarily on avoiding doing harm, right? And, uh, you know, there's also been responsible investing, so, so, so socially responsible investing, which is what the Calvert Fund was, okay? Uh, but now what we're doing is we're starting to see impact investing, and I think the difference here is the deliberate deployment of capital to address uh, specific social environmental objectives. I need to get my notes up and generate uh, uh, returns, economic returns as well. So it's kind of the two things, right? It's not. It's more than just uh, not doing harm or or being being on the right side of an issue. It's actually doing measurable uh, uh, progression on the the goals, the SDG kind of goals, as well as making money at the same time. And that's pretty significant change. Yeah, fantastic. And we'll explore and develop those themes. Uh, further on. Lars, over to our next guest. <laughs> Thank you. And just a quick reminder to our attendees, if you have questions, please put them into the Q&A section, and we have a significant amount of time to answer your questions right at the end uh, of today's webinar. So over to uh, Shuyin. Um, so you're with Patamar Capital, right? Um, and maybe you can share a little bit about your background and what's uh, Patamar's specific focus, of course, in the context of impact investing. Sure, thanks Lars and, and thanks Chris for, for inviting me to be part of this webinar. It's great to be here. Um, so just firstly, a little bit about Patamar Capital. Um, so we have been doing impact investing in Southeast Asia for the past decade or so. Um, I think we're probably one of the more active um, impact investing firms in, in the region. Uh, we have about $100 million in AUM and over 20 investments um, into a whole range of companies. Um, so we have a number of different funds and we manage different funds which um, have slightly different um, investment mandates. I think as you will find with impact investing, that's, that's quite a common thing because it's generally impossible to try and solve every single social and environmental problem under the banner of one particular you know, strategy or, or mandate or fund. Um, so as a result, we have uh, right now four different funds um, with, with slightly different strategies. Um, some of them are very much focused on increasing livelihood opportunities for the mass market and SMEs. So how do we get you know, better healthcare, education, financial services um, to low-income communities, uh, as well as you know, SMEs and micro SMEs. Um, we have a number of different funds which are also focused on women's empowerment, women's economic empowerment, um, and increasing gender equality. Uh, so that just gives you a flavor. I'm happy to share more examples. Fantastic. So yeah, you said you know there, there are a lot of um, opportunities out there to tackle tackle uh, problems. So maybe um, to add on the question that we had just with Paul um, about what what do you think are the misconceptions that that ESG investing and, and impact investing are the same. And uh, where do you see the differences? I mean, you've been in the market uh, with Patamar for 10 years, right? Um, are there still, do you still have to do a lot of education work or already the right investors come to you? Um, you know, I, I think we're, we're all learning, right? I mean, I think it's, it's an emerging field. And I think while we've come a long way, I think there's, there's still um, definitely a lot of education to be done. Um, I think what's really helpful for me is to look at 
um, all of these different, I guess, types of investing along a spectrum, right? So at one end, you have, you know, your, the sole focus or sole purpose of, you know, a financial strategy or a fund is to maximize financial return, right? With, you know, no limitations or restrictions. Um, if you start moving along a little bit, then you get more the ESG strategies, which as Paul mentioned, uh, really about kind of screening certain things out. Um, and then you keep on moving even further along and then you get to, um, you know, I guess a middle ground where uh, you are not necessarily looking for the maximum financial return, uh, but, um, but, but still looking for, for some kind of, uh, you know, say, you know, a 5% or 3% return or just to get your capital back. And then, you know, then you move to the minus 100% side, which is pure philanthropy, which is about giving your money away in, in thoughtful ways. And I think there really is a spectrum. There's everything in between. And I think while it is sometimes, you know, confusing to think of these as different kinds of flavors of responsible investing, impact investing, I think it's important to remember it is a spectrum. And, you know, the one particular strategy isn't better than another, right? So I think sometimes we get a little hung up on proving that, you know, this particular type of impact investing is better than that. But I think they're just different strategies to achieve different goals, right? Um, so I think that's the way I, I, I see it. Um, and I think what's the takeaway here? I think it's very important then for every impact investor to be very clear about where they sit on the spectrum, right? What For that fund, what are the specific goals? Whether it's around improving education, whether it's around gender equality, whether it's around, you know, financial inclusion, um, then also being clear about what the financial um, return expectations are as well for that fund. Uh, as I said, some of them can be targeting, you know, commercial market rate of uh, return. That's cool. Uh, the others could be looking simply to get their capital back, right? And over what time frame also becomes an important question. So, um, so I think as long as, you know, you're clear about what your fund is trying to do, um, your investors and the entrepreneurs that you invest in share those expectations, then you're setting yourself up for success. Fantastic. So with obviously, and um, that's a topic that everybody's talking about COVID um, in, uh, you know, changing all our lives and businesses. Um, has your, have you seen a lot of impact and change already on focus that said, hey, healthcare wasn't on the agenda, but that's where we have to go? Well, I think, I mean, COVID has been a very, you know, interesting, um, I think it's taught us quite a few things, right? I think the first is that we actually saw that a lot of our portfolio was, you know, very resilient in, in the face of COVID. Um, and I think, you know, Paul was alluding to this before as well. I mean, in the sense that, you know, a lot of our companies are really targeting, um, you know, I guess real felt needs, right? Um, around education, around access to food, um, around healthcare, right? And, you know, I think these, these types of sectors, these types of business models are typically, you know, more, more resilient in, in these downturns. And I think that was absolutely um, something that we saw through, through our own portfolio. Um, and, and I think something that was very encouraging. And I think there's very early emerging research to show that many of even say the ESG funds and other impact investing funds have actually uh, been outperforming during, during this, during 2020, which is quite an interesting, um, you know, interesting concept. I think this it definitely gave us um, a sense of urgency, right? And I think that's the second thing that I would like to highlight. Um, you know, I think uh, I've been actually really pleasantly surprised by the speed at which capital has, new capital has moved into the sector. I think there's been a lot of different, you know, COVID-19 resilience um, and relief funds set up by different DFIs, different impact investors. And, you know, I think for organizations which might typically take, you know, years to make decisions, the fact that they got money into the hands of entrepreneurs in say months is, is really extraordinary. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so just one last question, maybe because um, obviously if we look at Southeast Asia, um, normally the two hot markets are Indonesia uh, and Vietnam. We, we had 
a lot of focus on Indonesia on uh, the series before. Um, so um, you're very active, especially in Vietnam. Um, is it a special case on and a little bit away from impact investing? Like, is Vietnam catching up to Indonesia, or do you have actually uh, investors coming to you? Hey, why don't you do both? Or you know, uh, that's our bet, and there's only one bet in the in the in the game. Well, I think uh, you know we definitely have rooms for our friends in Indonesia as well. But I definitely see that you know interest in Vietnam has increased uh, this this year. Um, I think even before COVID, um, I think 2019, I think was the very first year that there was more capital deployed into Vietnam, uh, Vietnamese companies over Singapore, right? Uh, and Vietnam was only second to Indonesia. So I think that was the first time that ever happened. Um, I think COVID has actually accelerated that interest in, in many ways. Um, I think as many of you on this call would know, um, Vietnam has done an exceptional job at responding to COVID. Less than a thousand deaths. Um, I, sorry, less than a thousand cases. Only around 25 or so um, deaths. And you know, it's back to normal. It's business as usual, and still project, uh, projecting around you know three to four percent GDP growth this year. So, I think people, uh, you know, I think saw, I think not just this response, but I think the resilient spirit, the entrepreneurial spirit of the Vietnamese, uh, which has always been there. But I think this has really shone a light on that. And definitely, I'm getting lots of calls from regional investors who are keen to to boost their their deal flow in Vietnam. And they're all just waiting to fly in and uh, put the signatures uh, down, right? Well, I've, I've even heard of quite a few deals which were closed without any on-the-ground DD, which I thought was quite a quite a brave move. <laughs> Interesting, right? So, so many things that people said were never possible. Well, you're forced to make things possible and they happen, right? Exactly. <laughs> and Lars, on to one of our favorite sessions, the rapid fire. Okay, so the rapid fire is, uh, I'll just uh, share a quick statement or question that I need uh, each of you, Paul and uh, Shuyin, should just give me a quick one sentence answer. Yes, no, black, white, uh, something like that. Okay, good. So um, impact investing, great for GPs to raise funds. Yes or no? Ladies first. I wouldn't do it if you're not serious. I think it's a mixed bag. <laughs> Paul? Uh, yeah, I have to echo Shuyin there that... Uh... Uh, it is a mixed bag, and if you're not familiar with it, it like uh, don't don't jump in. Okay. Um, initiatives like um, Grab for Life um, are they moving them into the impact investing space, or that's something completely different? I want to go first, Paul. To be honest, I'm not familiar with it. I, I, uh... um, it's it's uh, like like many many large startups, they are showing the positive impact they have. So mm -hmm. it's, hey, we are in, uh, we brought X thousand people into jobs. Um, we creating opportunities for women uh, to work and, and these kind of things. I think, I think that's great that if you can show that and if you can prove it and that people are uh, paying attention to it, uh, hopefully that's a core part of the business and not just some, you know, uh, marketing kind of window dressing, but um I, I'm always optimistic that if companies can focus on these kinds of things and, and make it part of their DNA, that's great. Yeah. Grab for good. I think it's grab for good. Sorry. Okay. My, my, <laughs> uh, Gene, your, your take on that? Right. Um, you know, I think like, like Paul said, I'm all for it. Um, I'm not sure whether it's necessarily impact investing. Uh, you know, I think maybe some of you have heard of these different concepts around, say, shared values, um, you know, which is kind of more, a more integrated uh, form of, I guess, CSR, right? Really integrating, um, you know, doing good into, um, into a business's operations, core operations. That's great. Um, I support it. Not necessarily impact investing. 
Okay, cool. Um, at the end of the day, if we look at the whole spectrum, for over 50% of those using the term impact investing, the real impact investors are looking for is only direct dollar returns, yes or no? Neither of you feels like- okay. I think I, I can take this. Um, so I think, I have to say, I think where I see the most dollars is really in a place where you can kind of have your cake and eat it too, right? You can achieve top tier financial returns and you can also feel good about having a positive impact on society or the environment. Um, so I think that's the, the easy type of impact investing. I think where it gets tr more tricky is in these trade-offs, right? Where, and I think there are definitely areas where there are trade-offs between financial return and social impact that's where I think more dollars need to go, but they aren't flowing yet. In fact, maybe just a, a bit of context before we get a response from Paul. You know, isn't it just like any other asset class? The reality is we have a vast pool and investors are asking for a vast pool of ways that they could express uh, what they want to do with their money. They could express what type of impact and really picking some sort of uh, investment and getting the right return is about picking the right skilled impact investor and it's simply just around the spectrum uh, i mean it doesn't necessarily need to be either or and maybe you can talk about some of the studies into not necessarily having some of these trade-offs Was that for me? Was that was she in or that was for Paul? <laughs> oh, okay. I, I, you know, I know less of the studies, but I see it much more, much more from the founder's point of view because uh, that, those are the companies that I see, and uh, in my travels in the the past couple of years, I see a lot of early stage companies that are solving very specific impact related problems as part of their core business, whether it's a prawn farmer, or whether it's the uh, distance learning, or whether it's education. Uh, uh, or healthcare, those those are the businesses that they're setting up. And yes, of course they have impact and you can point to them, but there are also real businesses that will make money hopefully. Uh, so it's not it, it's not just trying to do something and saying, oh yes, it's impact and put like now with impact. It's more like this is this is a, uh, a business that can make money and do good at the same time. And we're seeing more and more of that, especially in Southeast Asia uh, in, 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 and outside of the big cities as well. Uh, and that's really encouraging. So um, I think it's, it's becoming something else entirely now from the ground up. Then the last question under, under rapid fire, is the success and buzz of impact investing as a concept hurting it because it's getting abused as that marketing label? Yes or no? Paul? You're always going to see some some latecomers come on, and you know it's called well, greenwashing or putting on uh, you know whatever kind of whatever kind of green cloak you can uh, to be able to attract money or attract investors or interest. But I think that the real the real deals are going to show through, and the people who are actually uh, uh, walk walking the talk uh, and making money, they're they're going to prove themselves to be real. So I think that'll sort itself out in coming years. So, Shreen. Um, yep. uh, impact investing uh, kind of becoming a victim of its own success? No, I think the, the more uh, light that can shine on impact investing, the, the better. I think um, the, the community is, I think, you know, wise enough to tell between what's just kind of the marketing fluff um, and, and what's the real deal. Okay, over to Chris and the pitch. All right, so for all our founders out there, Xi Yin, what do founders need to do to properly qualify as an impact focused company? Obviously look at your funds, be very clear on what you guys are trying to achieve. And then how do they pitch to you to make sure that they can get that second and third meeting? 
Great question, I think. Um, and in that question, you actually had one of the most important points, which is um, to, to do your research, right? To do your homework. Uh, I think as, as we've both talked about, I mean, impact investing can span many different types of things. It's no point trying to, you know, uh, to, to pitch your say climate solution to um, to say our fund because I think that's just not a focus for us. Not to you know not to say that it's a bad idea, but it's just not something we focus on. So I think that's the first step, right? So I think you know you're always in in other I guess mainstream um, investments. You're always looking at okay, is this a fit from a stage perspective? Is this seed versus Series A, etc. I think when you layer on the impact perspective, um, it's really important to understand what that fund's impact mandate is as well. Mm. Um, I think then it's you know how do you really show that that you fit that mandate in your in your pitch right and I think for me I um, I always <laughs> joke I mean it's not enough to kind of just put a picture of some SDG logos on your slide um, you have to come to us with uh, a really clear idea of you know what is the impact that your solution is um, is, is having um, how are you actually going to be measuring that both today um, as a baseline and then also over time um, how are you being, I guess, additional, right? Like what is your company doing that, that is having a, you know, uh, impact that wouldn't have happened otherwise? And, and what are some of the risks around it, right? And I think it's always super important to, to think about what are the risks in achieving the intended impact? So I think there's um, one of the things that we've seen a lot is are these, some of these unintended consequences, right? In our industry, um, both impact investing as well as development industry in general. So I think paying attention to those is, is so important. Fantastic. And over to you, Paul, you've met with and worked with hundreds of founders. Who gets money and who doesn't? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think there's an impact related statement. I think this is these are good, good founders are uh, uh, solving real problems and, and have a good business model and have a good team uh, and have a sense of uh, what, what they're doing and how to, how to measure it. And so when they're pitching for your, your pre-seed or your angel round or your seed round or your A round or whatever, um, you need to have those, those, those same uh, uh, degrees of quality. And so whether it's an impact related uh, uh, startup or not, I don't think that matters as much as having a good business and a good fundamental business case and uh, knowing how you're going to be solving the problems and make, make money out of it. And what's relevant to founders is, at least from your perspective, has the type of pitch or has, you know, what's been required to communicate to you changed over the last six months, thanks to COVID? Are you listening out for different things now than, say, in 2019? Shuyin? I think, um, I wouldn't say it's fundamental. I mean, it's fundamentally changed. I think, obviously, um, you know, COVID-19 is, is, you know, is, is, is a significant event in our lifetimes, but I don't think it's changed the, the kind of underlying philosophy of, of how we're approaching um, impact investing. And, and I, I, I think... Uh, Having gone to many pitch, pitching events previously, we're not having this pitching events live. I think what you're seeing more is the the logistics of the the pitch and 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 how they're carried out is, are changing. Uh, just like this, you know, this kind of roundtable might we might ordinarily be doing it live uh, uh, in a room someplace all together, but we're not. Um, and many of us have meetings on Zoom. Those things have changed, but the fundamental kinds of mechanics are still very much the same. Fantastic. So let's get to the questions from the audience. We already have a couple of them and a reminder to everybody. Um, if you find there's a question you absolutely want to get answered, please upvote them because we are looking at one of the most popular questions. So let's get directly started from uh, Michael. Michael has a question for both our guests today. To what extent do you um, now see otherwise commercial startups adopting 
a meaningful mission to address one of the SDGs? Or um, are you still seeing a big divide between philanthropic missions versus build and exit mentalities? Who want to go first? I'm, I'm happy to jump in. If, sure, yeah. All right. Oh. I, 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 certainly in Southeast Asia, in emerging markets, a lot of the startups that I saw were fundamentally focusing on those problems. Okay. So it wasn't, it, it, again, it isn't with, it, it isn't now with impact. These are, these are, uh, uh, companies that are trying to solve a specific problem that uh, actually does fit into an in, in impact arena. So um, uh, I, I think it's kind of the same thing now. I think it's organic. And I think we're going to see more and more of that uh, uh, as time goes on. Shane, hmm. anything to, to add from your perspective on that? Um, yeah, I think... I think definitely that there are a lot of companies, um, you know, who, who we've invested in, in fact, right, who, who may not necessarily use like the same labels, right, in, in the impact mm -hmm. investing sector. I mean, they might not necessarily call themselves like a social enterprise. They may have just been founded as, um, I think, as the, as the person asking the question has said, to, to really, say, focus on providing high quality, affordable education, right, in rural Vietnam. So that could have been their core focus. I think otherwise quite a commercial, so-called commercial angle but i think at their core was really this um you know what could also be described as a social mission right so i think we are seeing a lot of these different companies um i think really getting to know the founders mentality and vision is, is so important right and you know i think to understand you know how are they thinking about an exit right what's important to them um how are they thinking about setting their, their pricing over time right um so i think these questions are really important to dive into but, but definitely i think we, we do see a lot of these companies which aren't necessarily springing from like the social enterprise or you know development ngo type of world but more from the tech startup community okay and one question that has been around and we discussed it also um uh, last week when we had our pre preparation for today a uh, very simple question but everybody is asking it how do investors measure impact paul <laughs> Chuyen, you look ready. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you look I really think, ready there. <laughs> um, I think this is an area of, I think, passion for both Paul and I, because I think we've seen so much um, improvement, I would say, and professionalism or professionalization, I should say, over the past several years. Um, because, I, yes, there's always this question of, oh, you know, how do you really know, like, how do you, know, how do you actually measure this impact? How do you know what, what those results are, right? Financial return is easy, impact is not. I actually think today you can't, I mean, you can say there's a, there's a standardized way to measure impact. And that's really through um, forums such as the Global Impact Investing Network and their IRIS Plus methodology, IRIS, in case anyone's wondering. Um, I think pretty much every impact investor I know uses that methodology now um, instead of metrics. And there's really no excuse for, for, for not using that. Um, so I think there is a lot more transparency, clarity around how investors are measuring impact. It still doesn't mean you can compare investing in say, you know, girls education in Myanmar and, you know, wind farms, but I, I don't think that's necessary to, to, to kind of drive the field forward. I think now there's a much better, um, it's much easier to compare amongst impact investors, you know, investing in the same sectors. Uh, there is some, you know, benchmarking uh, available. And I think that has you know, been a tremendous, tremendous improvement and, uh, you know, milestone landmark for the industry. I totally agree. And I think that actually um, uh, Iris Plus and, and, and there's some others uh, are really the catalyst to making impact investment take off. Okay. Because before there was no way to, to say, is this a good investment? 
uh, this is not a good investment. We know what the financial tools are. We know how we can see whether your investment is doing well uh, financially. But but on the impact side, until you had these these other tools, it was kind of it was kind of fuzzy. But now we're starting to see it, and I think that's really uh, where we'll start to see a lot more money coming in because people can say, yeah, this is a good thing, uh, I, and I can measure it against other companies. And uh, maybe it's not so good. But how how that works and being able to measure it and have something that is standard across an industry, I think that's really uh, uh, the catalyst for making it grow. I think just Good. one other final point here is I think, um, you know, impact investors are being really encouraged to be much more public, right? So public disclosures mm -hmm. around how they're thinking about their impact. What is the impact of their portfolio, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's also been a big catalyst in, um, in, in driving the field forward. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we discovered when we were doing the research here, which was quite surprising, is that Thailand is actually a top 10 in terms of their listed market, the SET, for sustainability disclosures. So uh, well done to the, uh, to the folks at uh, Thailand SET and all the companies participating. I think we'll see more of that too. I think that that's just going to be one of the quali one of the things that investors start to look at, uh, and, and retail investors as well. I mean, all of us, as we start to look at where we're going to put our money, uh, uh, more and more people talk about it, certainly amongst my friends and my peers. Uh, and I think uh, we'll see more of that occurring. Let's have another look at uh, the fantastic questions that we have uh, here from the audience. Um, and uh, that's an interesting one. All are interesting in different ways. Um, how does the impact of investment change when the enterprise is young or early stage to when it's profit making and already sustainable on its own. Is there a difference or, or not? I, I see it, uh, you know, my, my viewpoint is at early stage companies. So uh, I haven't seen much of a difference as companies get funding and start to grow. Uh, granted, they're only like one to three to five years old. So uh, that's maybe not enough of a sample to give you a, an overall industry view, but I don't see very much of a difference because their fundamental mission is to uh, address a specific problem, right? And that, that's what they're built for. So I don't see that changing. Uh, you're not going to go from a healthcare company to a you know influencer network. That's not going to happen, <laughs> right? So uh, they're still always going to be uh, healthcare companies. And I've got a fantastic one from the audience and it's to the both of you. Uh, can you talk to us about one of the companies that you've invested or worked with? Uh, what are they doing in terms of impact? And also what gives you surety at the same time that there will be some financial gain? So maybe Shuyin, if you can talk about one of Padma's investments, what made you attracted to it, et cetera? Sure. Um, I can actually talk about our most recent investment in Vietnam. Um, it was just closed during COVID. Um, and it was actually into a company involved in the micro SME lending sector. And um, for those on, of you on the call who, who know Vietnam, um, I think they will know that the financial sector is, is highly regulated and it's actually very mm -hmm. hard to do lending. You basically have to be a bank or other type of registered financial institution to, to be doing involved in lending at all. There's no P2P licensing regime, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so this company, you know, very cleverly decided to partner with the banks and actually be an end-to-end -end service provider. Um, for them to reach micro SME lenders. So who are their customers? They are basically like the first stands, so the little noodle stands, the bun me stalls, these types of very small businesses who typically could not access formal um, financing, right? So typically they were relying on, on loan sharks, pawnbrokers, um, 
other types of actors where the interest rates, as, as we all know, are pretty exorbitant. Um, so this company allows them to access formal financing for the very first time. Um, they have you know, made tens of millions of dollars in, in disbursement, so they're really operating at scale, reached um, you know, tens of thousands of customers as well. Um, and you know, I think that's what we're really excited about, right? I mean, the micro SME sector is the backbone of Vietnam's economy. The ability to provide uh, financial services, um, inclusive financial services to this segment um, was, was, was why we invest in the company. And we see that has tremendous prospects, both for um, you know, financial return as well as impact. So she and I pick up on the fact that the reason why you went in was to make the impact. And that's a little bit different from a lot of companies that you may or may not invest in where the impact that is positive happens to be just a side benefit, not the primary reason why you make it. I would like to ask you a question around what makes you feel though, that even though you went in it to effect positive change, that you will get your money back. In this particular one, what made you comfortable that you would get your money back? So I think, yeah, as you correctly said, I mean, we invest in companies where we see the impact and the financial, I guess, the financial potential, financial returns really going hand in hand, right? I mean, doing, you know, having a positive impact is part of the core business of the company. Um, so I think, you know, as the business scales its impact, it also scales its, you know, financial prospects, its revenues, its profits, et cetera, and vice versa. Um, I think in this particular case, I mean, for all our companies, we do very detailed exit analysis um, on, um, on, on all of them. And I think in this case, we see that if any particular player can really reach this market, which is one of the largest segments in Vietnam, but massively underserved, then it would be a very interesting acquisition target for, um, for, for say, a bank or other financial institution. Um, so I think we, we do the exit analysis just like the rest of, um, you know, the investment community. Um, and, you know, I think... And, and, need to also get convinced that there's a way to scale the company and have an exit, which still preserves the core mission of, of providing financial inclusion. Shein sounds like a fantastic company. And if that company ever needs an investment bank, well, I guess maybe you know who to contact. <laughs> so Paul, sure. one of the uh, wonderful things about, you know, getting to know you is you've got so many wonderful stories to share. And, and certainly I've enjoyed my fair share. Um, could you just please, you know, um, for the audience, you know, share one of the uh, impact stories that you've got. Uh, remember, as we we're getting ready, you were talking about some stuff in Myanmar that you're working with, but uh, just anyone. Sure, exactly. So one of, one of the companies that uh, uh, I, I met over the past couple of years and then seen them grow and, and get additional funding and win some awards is called Re uh, Recyclo, and it's out of Myanmar. What they do is they help uh, companies with their recycling needs. And it's very, it's, it's very simple uh, premise, but nobody's been really doing it, is that uh, uh, they Recyclo uh, identifies specific recycling facilities and, and uh, businesses, and they have the relationships there. And then they go to your company and say, we'll help you recycle your paper, your waste, or this or that, and take care of it for a small fee. Okay. So uh, small companies or all the way up to banks, you know, have to be recycling and want to be recycling, but don't really know how to do it or have the wherewithal to do it. Recyclo goes in and uh, makes that happen because they have the connections upstream and downstream. And it solves a problem that every company has. Uh, in a very simple and clear way that makes money. And to me, that's like, it's brilliant. It's like a, a simple solution to a problem that's extremely common. And I, I just like it. They started in Myanmar and they're expanding throughout Southeast Asia. And uh, uh, I think it's just a great, great illustration of how this can work. Um, two questions that I want to put together out for, for both of you. Very concrete from the audience. They're really looking for your guidance and insights and experience. One is, do you consider sustainable, affordable housing 
for low-income groups a candidate for impact investors. Second one, hello, I'm in the film industry. Are there any case studies you are aware of of film companies being involved in impact investing? So one is affordable housing for low-income groups and uh, film companies involved in impact investing. Really digging into your trove of, of experience and what you've seen out there. I believe that affordable housing is one of the SDGs, right? Access to housing, right? And so you're right in the, uh, you know, the strike zone there. Right? Yes, very much so. And I think um, uh, we're seeing more and more money and attention being paid to that. And I'm hearing more of that in terms of accelerators and uh, groups coming together to try to figure out ways of uh, uh, urban planning, civic planning uh, to make housing available because uh, it's really necessary as, as more and more people come to cities that, that you, you mm. obviously people need housing, but there's money to be made there too. Uh, th this is not all altruism and it's not all charity, but there's a way to, uh, for all parties to win. So I'm starting to see that a lot more. Mm. Good. Um, uh, and, and, uh, Paul, um, the, the other question was about film industry. Are there any case studies of film companies being involved in impact investing? Very specific. <laughs> um, yes, I, I think so. Uh, so I think uh, so. So I think there's some really interesting things going on in the media space broadly. I would say um, I think so. For example, um, one of the media group of companies called the Luminate Network. They've invested a lot in media, um, and I think including film as well, independent film, um, and supported I think a number of companies globally in, in that sector. Um, I think also Open Society Foundation and and some other. Um, and some other related groups have, have also invested in the kind of media, me, media film um, and arts space as well. And I think they, there's definitely a recognition that, um, you know, the stories that are told um, and, and shape everyone's perceptions are so critical. Um, so, so I think absolutely, I would say that there's room for impact investing in that sector as well. Fantastic. Um, maybe we can take on uh, two more questions, Chris. Uh, yeah, so I am getting questions from a bunch of people on my social media feed. No, I didn't kill him. Yes, all he's doing is eating some ice cream. Uh, then on to <laughs> other questions. Um, Paul, you know, when you look at these founders, um, you know, a lot of times, and it's not necessarily impact, what we have is founders have identified a problem, but there's not necessarily a nexus with that problem being economic to solve. And uh, I, I guess a problem that they had that's more like a hobby. Um, is there anything particular that when you're coaching these founders and working with these founders around impact that's different from any other style of investment, for example? No, actually not. I think it's it's the same it's the same set of tools. Um, what your business might be might be different than Shuyin's business or Lars's business in, in terms of what you're doing, but the fundamentals of building a business are all very much the same. And I think that harks back to what we were talking about earlier: is that um, ten years of the startup industry has taught us how taught the industry how to do this with, with accelerators and incubators and money and uh, grants and uh, a whole ecosystem being built around that. But the tools and the strategies for building a company from small to larger to bigger uh, are all very much the same. And I don't think they differ very much from uh, what kind of company you're doing. But that's why it encourages me that impact focused companies now have a chance to get a leg up and become successful is because founders have access to these tools or maybe five years ago they didn't and i think that's really encouraging that's wonderful Shein, do you see any differences or or not really 
I mean, I, I would agree that it's largely the same. Um, I, I, I do think, though, that there is um, there are some skill sets around um, impact, right? That that maybe a, a regular company might might not have. Um, I think there's obviously certain skills around, say, community development, around um, you know advocacy. Uh, you know, there's there's certain things which maybe might not come so naturally to to a tech startup. Um, and I think, as with anything, right? If you need marketing expertise, you go and hire it, right? If there's certain types of impact expertise, you need to go and find that as well. So I, I would say. Yeah, you, you know, obviously this year is pretty tricky for a lot of people, but, you know, the thing that really excites me is that we're seeing that the local founder is able to get two things, which they couldn't. One is obviously the fact that they can actually spread their message in a much more freer uh, uh, and wider distribution platform than they've ever had before, thanks to all our social media networks. The second, though, is this access to capital so that they can actually build these businesses and do something with it. So a couple of questions. Uh, just a confirmation one. Do you see greater and greater, you know, from the ground up, greater, greater dollars coming in? Uh, just a confirmation. But then a second one, if that is going up in terms of the dollars, how do we actually get even more funding into the hands of founders? How do we actually improve this ecosystem? It's been growing. Uh, but when we looked at the stats, the percentage of funding that is impact related in Southeast Asia is actually low. But the excitement is the amount of impact that can be done and the fact that in Southeast Asia, there's ability to leapfrog and build new. So, for example, Xi Yin's uh, uh, investment in microfinancing, Paul, the issue around Recyclo, we can actually address today's problems and avoid some of the mistakes that we made in the past. Shuyin, maybe I can start with you, please. Yeah, so I think uh, for your first question, right, I think definitely we do see more capital than there was, say, five years ago, 10 years ago. Um, but I think, yes, but not enough, right? And, and I think to, to the second part is how do we get more capital into the sector? Um, I'm really interested in seeing, you know, I think what I've realized over the last several years is that, you know, a lot of impact investing capital is still concentrated in, I guess, more traditional, like, say, VC or private equity type approaches. Um, and not everything fits into, say, the life of a 10-year fund and a venture capital style approach where you're looking for, you know, a 10x, you know, 20x type of type of return. I think that kind of impact investing is fantastic. We do it as well. Um, it's absolutely possible to, to kind of knock it out of the park with an impact venture capital firm. Um, but I think there's lots of other founders um, in the impact space who might not necessarily fit that profile, right? So there could be better investment products for them, whether it's around, you know, mezzanine financing, debt, revenue-based financing, um, and so forth, which could actually be a better fit for their needs. And I think also we need to take a good hard look at whether the 10-year fund structure is a good fit for every single type of, you know, impact investment um, strategy. So I think those are the things that I would say. Fantastic. So Paul, is it getting better and how do we make it better? Well, I think uh, I, I want to echo what Shu Yin is saying, and this is something I've been grappling with. I don't have an answer to it, but that a lot of the maybe uh, impact-related startups that I'm seeing are not going to grow to a hundred times their size or a thousand times their size. They're not going to become, you know, the the Uber of recycling, you know, and the traditional venture uh, investment requirements are that they need to scale and grow very big. I mean, that's what VCs are looking for, right? So what are then the mechanics for investing in companies like this that may only grow eight or 10x over five or seven years that are just as valid, but are not on that startup, you know, north, you know, north, north facing uh, uh, kind of 
uh, uh, trajectory. So I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I think that that's what we're going to start to see is other kinds of investment vehicles to support companies like this so that they will become successful, but don't need to go to 17 different countries uh, over seven years in order to get funding. I guess at this point I should add a little bit of a plug because we're actually setting up an open-ended fund uh, for for exactly this purpose, which cool. tries to address okay. some of these problems. There's a real need for it. I mean, there's a yeah. real need for it on the ground. Right? I mean, we see it as a huge opportunity, right? Not everything looks like a venture capital investment. Okay, um, because we just have so many great questions, um, I'll, I'll throw two last ones in, and I just re really need a very quick um, um, uh, point of view from your side. Number one is um, how have you seen an increase? and focus on impact investment that focus on women economic empowerment. Is there an increase in focus? Yes, no, what's next? Maybe uh, Shreen on that one and the next one goes to Paul. <laughs> okay, um, short answer is I think absolutely yes. Um, I think that's been one of the biggest things we've seen. Uh, so for example, there's this thing called the 2X initiative just doubled its commitment to $6 billion um, towards women's economic empowerment. But yes, this is the answer. <laughs> and then my friend uh, Belinda, thanks for tuning in, asked, um, are investors interested in cultural impact? What do investors understand as cultural impact? Does it fall under impact investing? Paul, what's your take on that? Just as a very last question from the audience. It's a tough one because I, I don't, I, I, I honestly don't know what is meant by cultural impact that way. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure how to answer it, to be honest. Okay. Okay. Shreen, you have, a, you have a take on that? Or it's also just, wow, it's, it's, it can be answered in so many ways or none. Yeah, I'm, I'm not actually, I'd love to uh, understand what's meant by cultural impact first. But yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll yeah. ask, I ask Belinda for more and then maybe we can connect offline. <laughs> Thanks for, you know, also answering, you know, that's, that's the beauty about uh, Southeast Asia Connect. We really have a lot of questions from all kinds of views and stages and, and, and thanks for taking, taking them uh, on. So uh, Chris, that's coming already to an end. Uh, we had some fantastic insights. Some of the sound bites you picked up yeah, so thank you very much, Paul and Shuyin, for, for coming today. My favorite soundbite is from Shuyin. Uh, a lot of impact investing capital is with traditional funds. A lot of investments don't fit the 10-year lifespan. And just the echoing of that of Paul uh, around, uh, you know, we need to look at different investment vehicles. So, uh, you know, we, we're very excited about the decade ahead. At Southeast Asia Connect, we're here for our tech entrepreneurs and investors. In the eighth episode in a fortnight, will feature cybersecurity, which is on everyone's lips right now. If you're new to Southeast Asia Connect webinar series, your email has been added to our mailing list so you can stay informed on our upcoming episodes. In addition, all of our previous episodes can be found at Northridge Partners website. That's www.northridgepartners.com, www.northridgepartners.com. Most importantly, thank you to our listener community for being here. Together, we are all here to support our wonderful entrepreneurs, modern day heroes, as they harness today's technology to build a better tomorrow. I'm Chris Tran, signing off. Thank you very Thanks, much. everybody. Keep it precious. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Right, bye. -bye. bye, -bye.